0: Today, my guests are Judy Thompson, the Director of Clinical Education for the Association for Vascular Access, or AVA, and Marlene Steinheiser, the Director of Clinical Education for the Infusion Nurses Society. Welcome, Judy and Marlene.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you, Thank you Dawn. Yeah, so Judy, I'm gonna start with you. Tell us about your background and your work at AVA.
1: My background is, surprisingly enough, in vascular access, for primarily. I started um, the year after I graduated, I got into vascular access by accident, and I kind of fell into it, didn't think I'd like it, and made a career out of it. But um, now it's my passion. So I've been in vascular access since 2004, and it fascinates me to this day. I've um, I, I spent my entire career up until AVA at Kaiser. I was, I was groomed through the Kaiser system. I loved every second of it. I think they do great work and it enabled me to do a lot of amazing things. First of all, I got to advance my practice to placing all central lines. So that was a wonderful experience. And I think the Kaiser type of mentality and the Kaiser um, atmosphere is a perfect, perfect storm for nurses and other clinicians to, kind of expand their scope of practice. So that was mm-hmm. primarily my my background is placing devices. I wrote a lot of policies, procedures, and then I got involved with AVA. And I was the president of AVA as the National Association in 2017. Then right after that, I, a job came open with AVA as the clinical director. And I applied and I was lucky enough to get it.
0: Yeah, you know, we share some, some commonalities there, Judy. I'll tell you my story in just a little bit. Marlene, let's move on to you. Marlene, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, and uh, what you do at INS.
2: Okay, great. Thank you. Well, I am the Director of Clinical Education for INS, and my background is similar to yours, Judy. Um, I started in acute care as a new graduate. Um, nurse. But then I just happened to walk into an infusion nursing position because I was basically recruited by a nurse that I worked with in acute care. And she said, well, oh, think about this. Try home care. Try home infusion. And so it was really um, somewhat, like you said, by accident that I ended up there and loved it and um, really never went back into acute care because I really loved working in alternative sites. So everything I've done in my career has always um, focused on infusion therapy. And whether it was home infusion, I worked with skilled nursing facility nurses, teaching them infusion therapy. Um, I also worked for one of the boards of nursing, the Arizona State Board of Nursing. And part of my time at the state board, I worked with the um, infusion advisory opinions. So that was really rewarding. And I still do contribute to those. And then also, um, most recently, before I came to INS, I was a full-time faculty member in nursing education. Again, focusing and helping students learn infusion therapy and vascular access. So that's kind of my story.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to tell a little bit about myself then. I'm Dawn Barrett, of course, the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for INS. And my background in nursing uh, started out in a small acute access hospital where um, there were two nurses on at night. I was one of them. And um, whatever we had for patients in general care, OB or ER, um, we were it. Um, and that's where I found the love of Hitting that vessel. Oh, the, there's nothing like that pop. <laughs> okay, so um, that's kind of where it started. Um, after that, I worked for the American Red Cross for three and a half years, had a great experience there, and then transitioned back to an academic medical center where I spent about 14 years. And for the most part, my history working there was centered around the world of infusion and all aspects of that. Um, so at the INS, you know, I have worked at the National Council of Education. i worked for that committee. I was on the board of directors, and now I'm an employee for INS in my current role. So, Judy, we've kind of followed the same path, um, have that clinical background, but uh, found ourselves in an organization that really meets our interest and our, our needs to pursue that interest in a deeper way.
1: I think all three of us kind of found our way. But for me, definitely by accident, when I was first approached by a manager saying, do you, we need someone to do vascular access. I, eh, that sounds really repetitive and boring. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll give you three months till you find someone better suited. And I never left. I <laughs> love every second of it.
0: So let's talk about the collaborative relationship between INS and Ava.
2: Okay, Don. Um- We'll go ahead and get started. And, and, you know, I'm really thankful, Judy, for our collaboration, first of all. It's been wonderful working with you and with Ava. And, you know, I'm really excited about the um, plans that we have to collaborate and to provide education for our members, for both the Ava and INS members. And, you know, with the goal in mind of, of benefiting um, those who practice both infusion therapy and vascular access. And of course our common goal of improving patient care and serving our community. So I'm really excited that we're able to work together.
1: I couldn't be happier. And I know our membership on both sides, they feel the same way. I know when when many of our members saw during some of our advertisement for our conference coming up, um, we'll see if it's coming up, but our conference coming up to where INS and Ava were working together And you guys were going to put, were, or are going to be putting on a pre-con. And everyone that I've heard from was going, oh my gosh, this is a long time coming. We serve the same patients. You can't get an infusion without vascular access. And you don't need vascular access if you aren't getting an infusion. So we are meant to play together. Absolutely.
0: Well, the three of us have been working behind the scenes for a number of months. And let's talk now about... What else is planned between our two organizations? We've got some stuff coming up.
1: We do. I'm really excited. I we have fairly frequent phone calls and we were on a phone call and said, well, what can we do? Let's think of something in the short term, especially with the with COVID and everything else. And they came up with a suggestion of us doing a webinar together, which I'm very excited to participate in. Marlene, why don't you take the lead on telling people more about it?
2: Sure. So in June, Judy and I, uh, Ava and INS, are teaming together to present a webinar about the psychosocial impact of COVID upon clinicians. And I have to thank you both, Dawn and Judy, for um, this opportunity because one of the reasons that we came up with this topic, um, aside from the fact that it's a very important topic during the pandemic especially, is that I have a passion for this topic. I've spent the last five years studying and researching as a nurse scientist, compassion fatigue, secondary traumatic stress, burnout, um, moral distress, and um, secondary second victim. And so this is really important to my work. And I'm just honored that I'm able to share that with both of our members, both of our membership. And um, this is really a great opportunity for us to help our clinicians that are out in the field. And personally, it's providing me a way to give back Um, And so I really thank you both for this opportunity, and Judy, I know that you have a great amount of information that you'll be able to help present about this topic and what some of our clinicians are experiencing, and I know you're doing some behind-the-scenes work um, to help prepare for this webinar, so I'll let you take it from here.
1: Well, thanks. Well, Don, you want to tell them a little bit more about the, the time and that channel?
0: Sure. The INS Ava webinar is scheduled for June tenth and will air live at two o'clock Eastern time. And the topic and title is the psychological crisis of COVID nineteen. Too few are talking about it. Clinicians at risk. So now I want to switch just a little bit and let's talk about why we're presenting this particular topic right now.
1: Thanks, Don. I. You guys invited me to to be on this webinar with you, and I was honored to. I've heard from a lot of our clinicians about the stress they were under and worrying about PTSD and not knowing who to talk to and, oh my gosh, what happens if I bring it home to my family? And there's just a myriad of of concerns our folks are having. And we know how to take care of people. We know how to put a line in that can touch their heart. But doesn't kill them. <laughs> but we don't know how to take care of ourselves nearly as well as we know how to take care of our patients. And I, I am concerned that we're going to have a huge backlash of our clinicians as as time goes on if we don't get the help we need. Marlene, yeah, I couldn't agree
2: more, Judy. And it's you know been well noted um, in the in the literature that we uh, have had this concern for some time about clinician well-being and more so now with the pandemic. And it's not going to resolve itself, you know, even if we have um, lesser COVID cases. You know, this, this is going to be something that we're going to deal with for quite some time and some of the residual effects from caring for patients um, and dealing with some of the challenges. And so, we're, you know, we're grateful to those who are, are helping in every way. Everyone has a part to play. And so really talking about these challenges during this webinar and providing our learners, those listeners um, who attend, some practical ways to deal with these issues and some of their challenges. So I'm excited that we're able to team
1: up to do this webinar. This, This webinar touches me too, because there's a lot of us in healthcare that aren't directly working with the patients with COVID. And myself, I don't feel like I've done enough. And I feel like I'm not supporting my tribe in some ways. And I think not only healthcare workers that aren't on the front lines, but the general public feels that way too. And as shown by the out, um, out growing of love and food, <laughs> everybody wants to feed one another. But I think one of the silver linings of this virus, if there is one is I've heard it of a higher level of compassion, collaboration, and caring within the hospital. We are, um, being kinder to one another. And I hope that stays from this virus.
2: Judy, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because I, I actually made a mental note to talk about this later. And this is a great time to maybe discuss that, that I felt similar about the guilt. And I think guilt is one of those emotions and feelings that many of us have had, whether it's guilt over um, not being able to provide patient care that we want to provide. Um, if you're at the bedside, Or in our case, you know, we want to be at the bedside and for various reasons, we're not able to do that. And so I think that for me, providing this webinar and this podcast and and some of the work that we're doing behind the scenes is is our way of giving back, our way of doing our part. And, you know, I've had numerous people tell me this, that everyone has a, a part. And if we aren't here to do our part, then, you know, others aren't able
1: to do theirs. Absolutely.
0: So, Judy, I want to put the next question to you. Um, So the virus has taken so much from so many. Our joy, our social uh, situations, our financial situations, there's been an economic toll for so many. Um, So I'm going to ask you to address that. And what would you tell nurses or or? or people who are non-clinicians about this aspect?
1: You know, I find myself, I have my own opinion, but we all come with our own bias and our own experiences. And like all of us on this call right now, we have our jobs. Most of the healthcare Mm. healthcare providers, they have their jobs. We're Mm. not worrying about the financial aspect nearly as much as the hairdressers or the people in nail salons, the people that own restaurants. And those are the people that are chomping at the bit to get back to work. Mm-hmm. And myself in healthcare, I'm not ready. I, I, I am worried about the hospitals getting overwhelmed. I'm worried about my loved ones that work in hospitals being exposed to people that went out and they went to the bars without a mask. And so it's really hard on my end when I see people on the news that are partying it up at restaurants and bars, and they don't wear masks, and they're not social distancing, thinking about the ramifications in two to three weeks uh, of what's going to happen to our peers when another wave hits. So I think it's real. All of the social isolation and the financial hardship is horrible. But at the same time, even though I say that and I want social distancing, I don't want to be away from my family any longer. I don't want my 90-year-old dad to have to be 10 feet away at all times. And it's a dilemma. Definitely. Well, Marlene, have you felt that?
2: Yeah, I have. And I think we had a brief conversation in the past um, recently about caution fatigue. And you know, we, we might not talk about this in the webinar, but you know, that is similar to our pump. When our IV pumps keep beeping and, and there's such thing as, as pump or alarm fatigue, um, this is kind of similar where, you know, I think sometimes people are getting, you know, tired of being so cautious and so concerned and the information we get, you know, varies because this is a, just like it's called a novel virus. And so we don't know a lot of things. And so it's causing a lot of stress and a lot of different emotions and personally and professionally. So. Yeah, I definitely feel that. And it's hard to make decisions sometimes.
0: So this next question is for both of you. So I'll ask you to take turns. Um, tell what has helped you cope in the past few weeks.
2: So I'll go ahead and start. Um, you know, it. I think that at first I didn't think I needed much to cope. That it seemed like I had it all under control. And then I didn't realize that I wasn't coping probably very well. And it was a family member who made mention maybe you should stop watching so much of the news. Well, I need to keep up on it, I kept thinking. I need to be abreast of everything that's happening because I'm the nurse and everyone's asking me these questions. So I need to know. And I realized I don't need to know it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I need to be able to take a break. So that was helpful. Stepping away, receiving certain um, pieces of information, a little bit of the news, but mainly our scientific sources, um, other than a little bit of the news, just to find out what, you know, maybe the weather's doing here and, you know, a little bit besides that. And then getting away from social media a bit as well, because that has been sometimes stressful to see. You know, Judy mentioned you see things that are maybe happening that you feel strongly for or against. And so, But really what's helped me the most, I think, is um, trying to maintain control of the very little you can't control, which we can't control much in life, but we can control a bit of what we do with our reactions in our mind. And so as I've been preparing for this webinar, I've been reminded about mindfulness, and I've been practicing my mindfulness, and we'll talk a lot more about that during the webinar. And mindfulness is something that we can Um, incorporate into our daily lives without taking separate time to do it and so I've been really focusing on that and setting time aside for meditation and it's been brief I've um, really focused on some 10-minute meditation sessions that have really cleared my mind and I can feel my my heart rate come down my breathing slows and I've also used that one I've had some difficulty sleeping and so I think that, you know, we'll talk more about some of these um, self-help interventions, but some of those things have really helped me cope. And I kind of let them go for a little while because I thought I had it all under control. And in fact, I really didn't.
0: Johnny, how about you?
1: <laughs> I uh, It's frightening how much we mirror one another in what we have done. <laughs> I, um, I too, was watching way too much news, way too much um hyper actually, to the point where I didn't even know it until someone very close to me pointed out that all you do is talk about COVID. All you Mm -hmm. do, Mm -hmm. my other bad one is talking about politics and how I would get angry once in a while. Um, Not once in a while, I get angry often. And I had to stop entirely. I went, okay, what are the good, what's the good stuff? what is the good stuff going on? And I need to stop being so hypervigilant that I don't live. And um, that helped, You know, mm-hmm. I think at the very get-go, I, it's just so scary because mm-hmm. you don't know how do you, everything changed day by day, you wear a mask. And in fact, one of the case studies we're going to present was is from um, a well-known person in vascular access. And his input was, well, day one they say you you wear an N95. Day two you wear a surgical mask. Day three you wear one gown. Day three you wear two gowns. Then you go back to what I mean. Everything changed so quickly, and it got. Um, I don't like not knowing what to do. I wanna I want. I want my answers. I want to have my gotta dos and should dos, and then I can work between those two. But. Mm-hmm you don't have those with this disease as well. And we don't know who to believe because we have some people saying that they're experts and telling us X and other so-called experts tell us why. So where, where's our answers? Mm-hmm. Dawn, do you have them?
0: I do. I do. And <laughs> you're going to have to bear with me um, while I try and give you an analogy. Um, I'm someone who gets incredibly seasick. So um, when I was on a cruise once, I, I just fought and fought and fought with just being nauseated and ill um, most of the time. And I don't know who it was, who who said it or whatever, but they, they said, you need to get up on the top deck and look out at a fixed point. You need to stare at the horizon and it's going to quell that nausea, that, that rocking, shifting, changing. If you can focus on your fixed point out there, Um, it's going to get better. So I'm kind of applying that same analogy to the COVID crisis. It's like, I, um, I love spring. I love watching the wildlife come back. I like watching the birds. I like getting my hands in some dirt and planting some gardens. So I have kind of done the same thing, you know, stepped away from media, the TV, some of the things that we just kind of saturated ourselves with too much on the beginning and came back to my fixed points. And I'm focusing on those things that that are just really good that are out there that just right. keep us balanced and the things that we enjoy that haven't changed that are still there they're right they're right there the birds outside the window and the um, i've got little birds that are nesting in, in a tree right outside my window it's a perfect distraction um, but in a in a nice accompaniment for this time so um right. We do need to focus on the things that are good, that are fixed points, that are right there, that bring that stability and stop the rocking and shifting
1: for us. That's true. I mean, doing things like going outside, going to the beach and going for a walk, things of that nature and getting a workout in, all that stuff, because our gyms are closed doesn't mean that you can't work out. And now the gyms are opening up. So.
0: Yay. Yay. (laughs) And scary. (laughs) True fact. Now yes. we, now we need to know how to deal with that too. <laughs> yeah. right. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk again. Um, Marlene, um, since you have this, this background, um, I want to just kind of pick your brain a little bit and you, you know, some things personally, but you also know some things professionally. Is there more that you want to share with us now in the podcast that uh, might be helpful to some of our listeners?
2: Well, I, I think what I'd like to share the, during this podcast is to let um, our audience know that if you are attending the webinar, um, we will briefly and concisely talk about the science behind what we're feeling. I think, as you mentioned, you, you know, we kind of want to know. Okay? So we all have this urge to know. And so really just to understand a bit about where some of those emotions and feelings are coming from. So we'll cover that. And there's quite a bit of science behind it. And again, we'll we'll do this in a very brief manner so that we can move into some of these, um, probably what will seem very familiar to our audience, case studies, and share some practical ways that we can intervene ourselves. Because we can't, as you know, we know we can't control anything that's going on really outside of ourselves. And so one thing that we can do is is work with what we have um, ourselves. Um, the environment's changing, the virus is changing, our work environments are changing, our you know, the grocery stores, everything that we are you know, used to doing is changing. And so I think that really um, taking a pause um, during this, this webinar where we can focus on taking away one thing that we can do to make a difference for ourselves. And as you and Judy both mentioned, I think we've been going along a lot of us um, through our day-to-day lives, um, doing our things that we do normally for work and we, you know, childcare, family care, other responsibilities. And sometimes it creeps up on us that we don't even realize that we need to do something to help ourselves. And so, you know, my personal um, intention with this webinar is that every, um, individual that attends is able to take one thing away that they can practice and do immediately so that they feel better.
0: Now, Judy, I know in preparation for the webinar, you have been really reading up on second victim. Is there anything that you want to share with us now as a little teaser for what you're going to be presenting in the webinar?
1: Marlene comes with heaps of knowledge and information in the in these topics of psychological um, impacts of this. And my strength is advancing practice, but I I was fortunate enough to go to a, a conference. Well, Ava's conference last year, I guess fortunate. I was required to go, but nonetheless, <laughs> the, I was fortunate to attend one of the sessions and it was on second victim and um, Dr. Stam Crandall presented on it. She uh, recently got her PhD. So I have to do that shout out for her. She, she did a great presentation on second victim and I was sitting in the crowd and not even realizing that I am uh, a second victim. And I know Marlene, you and I spoke about this, even using that term second victim seems like I'm taking away my responsibility of my practice, my what I did and what I created. But it was it was just so impactful for me, that that whole topic that I ha- actually have been reading about this second victim syndrome since that, that time. And I think we have a lot of people that are feeling second, second victim, not necessarily because they made an error in their practice, but because of the way they had to practice, they are not doing what they have learned as best practice consistently in some of these really hard hit areas. And psychologically, it's like, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but this is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And what happens if that patient got a CLABSI? And one of the the people we're, we're going to talk about during our webinar, he was talking about going in a room and every time he p- placed an HD catheter, he knew that patient was going to die because that's what he found in his practice. He just knew after time and after time and after time, he would go and he'd place all the other lines. They'd call him back. He'd place a hemodialysis catheter and his brain, he's going, that's it. And, mm-hmm. What's that doing to him as he goes back to work now and he, he's placing more HD catheters and these patients are likely going to live because practice has changed a bit, but the virus hasn't. So mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a lot of things that I hopefully by hearing about second victim in our webinar, maybe it will open up ideas for other people like it did for me. Excellent.
2: And Judy, we we talked about this a little bit as we've been preparing and the term second victim um, and the the information you'll be presenting and I'll be um, focusing, which was my dissertation research for my PhD was compassion fatigue among clinicians. And that includes burnout and secondary traumatic stress, which we'll talk more about secondary traumatic stress and burnout, as well as compassion fatigue those terms, compassion fatigue and second victim come with some negative connotation. And so I think what um, we wanna also let our listeners know in our audience when they listen to the webinar that it's not negative. It's not that we've failed as a clinician. And I think that that's, um, in my research, that's one of the takeaways, um, one of the um, findings is that the, the clinicians felt like if I have compassion fatigue, what does that make me as a as a care provider if I can't be compassionate? And so same with second victim is that it might be viewed as a negative connotation. And so I think it's important as the um, scientists and researchers are moving this this content forward that they are looking at that and that we know that, you know, that might be um, something that needs to change in the future. So maybe a year or two or three from now, we'll see that, that those terms may change some. But for now, those are the terms we're using. and. Um, We certainly don't want clinicians to feel like that um, is negative
0: for them. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Well, we're nearing the end of our podcast recording today. So, Judy, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to ask you to give us your closing thoughts.
1: Wow. It's been a tough 2020, hasn't it? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> year of the nurse. we've I can't tell you how many podcasts I've done where it gets mentioned, oh, this is the year of the nurse. and guess what happened? <laughs> but it's all clinicians. Um, it's all humans. it's it's not just about us, is it? And certainly it's about those
1: patients. It is definitely about the patients, but a hospital can't run without environmental services uh, without the CNAs and all the ancillary services that make hospitals run. So shout out to every one of them as well. But the kindness, the compassion, the collaboration that has been born a little bit or reborn out of this virus and the need to collaborate, I hope it stays and I hope you continue to be kind and be kind to yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Marlene, how about you? I'm going to ask for your closing thoughts.
2: Well, Judy, you are so right that we mirror each other because I jotted down a note <laughs> uh, um, for my closing comments so I didn't forget that I wanted to make sure that we are not just kind to one another, but we are kind to ourselves, just like they talk to you about when you're in yoga. You know, listen to your body, listen to yourself, listen to your mind, and be kind to yourself. Um, everyone's in a different spot, everyone has a, a different perspective on. Things everyone is in a different um, place in their lives. Some have lost their jobs. Some are overworked. Some are extremely, you know, physically tired, mentally stressed. Um, So everyone's in a different place. And I think really, you know, just respecting that for yourself and being allowing yourself to feel these things and work through them. And so um, I'm excited for our upcoming webinar and the chance to help others um, feel like they're in a good place and that they're okay where they're at.
1: I can't wait. And I can't thank you guys enough for inviting me on to play with you. I'm excited about all the collaborations between INS and Ava. And I I, I look forward to the future with us. Absolutely. Thank you,
0: thank you Judy and Marlene, for being uh, my guest today on our podcast. And I'm looking forward to a few weeks when we get to spend time together on our webinar.
1: Me too. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks. You guys. Bye. Bye
0: okay thank you bye bye now bye now This concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We welcome your comments. You can reach us at infusionroom at ins1.org. That's infusionroom at ins1.org. Thank you for listening.